the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Situation Report. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stolnicker. Very glad to have you joining this conversation. Uh, When we talk about an ever-changing culture, one of the areas that impacts all of us, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, is the economy. So many things happening in our economy, so many things happening in our world right now financially. It can be very, very difficult to navigate. There is a conversation happening, whether you're involved in this conversation or not, around the idea of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, digital currencies, and how those play into what's happening more globally in our economic world. We know that what's happening economically around the world impacts our economics at home, and we must have an understanding of financial technologies such as Bitcoin. And yet, it can be very, very confusing. That's why I am very thankful to have on a guest that's been with us in the past to help break this down, help us to understand it, and get a better perspective on Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, what it all means, where it came from, and what we should do about it. My guest today is Mark Moss. Mark has been on the show a couple of times, and anytime we have a difficult financial dilemma or are struggling to understand, we asked Mark to come on and he has graciously accepted today. An investor, business consultant, has a wonderful YouTube channel uh, that deals with investing, success, mindset, a lot of other things that are important to us, and is the host of the Mark Moss radio show and podcast. Mark, thanks so much for joining us again. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Good to be back. We are going to spend some time talking about cryptocurrency today. And I think, again, this is something that's really confusing. It has been certainly to a lot of people. Um, but before we do, let's let's try to work some background if we can. Uh, let's talk about the, the Federal Reserve a little bit uh, and, and why, first of all, the United States is involved in the Federal Reserve. Why, why did we get into that? What does that do for us? Which story do you want? The real story <laughs> or their story? Um, so, um, you know, if you, if you want to understand uh, the, the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve is a central bank, right? So all the nations of the world have a central bank. Um, and to really understand that, you have to go back to the, the original, the, the origination of the central bank, which was the Bank of England back in the late 1600s. And so if you want to understand the central banks, go back to that. There's a book written, uh, The yeah. Mystery of Banking by Murray Rothbard. It's a great read. I believe you can download it for free on Mises.org. Um, And basically, the super, super quick high-level view of that, uh, to understand this, is that uh, at the time, England was in a war, and uh, before central banks, uh, well, even today, uh, governments or kingdoms back then, kings, kingdoms, governments, they always needed money. (laughs) And they would get that money from rich people. And so when a kingdom or government wanted to go to war, they had to go collect money. Uh, a lot of times they had to get loaned money. If you guys have watched Game of Thrones, you know how that worked. You had the, mm-hmm. the rich people loaning money to the king. And so they needed to borrow money. And England wanted to go to war, and the rich people said, hey, we, we have this idea. 
let me let me let me let me spitball this idea with you and see if this sounds good. And so they said, Bank of England, or I'm sorry, England said, okay, what's what's your idea? And they said, here's what we're going to do. Um, we will loan you as much money as you want. Okay, that sounds good. Well, tell me more. And they said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to give you as much money as you want to go to fight the war. However, what we want is we want to create a bank, the Bank of England, and we're going to create our own money. And what you're going to do is you're going to tell all the people in England that our money is the legal money to be used. Mm. And yeah. if you tell everybody that they have to use our money, then we'll give you as much of it as, as you want. Right. And that's history. So the, the central bank was created to create money out of thin air uh, so they could <laughs> give it to the government in unlimited quantities right. in exchange for the government telling the people to use the central bank's money legal tender. Now, a lot of people right. are confused by the word fiat currency. Four or five years ago, nobody even knew that word. Today, you hear that word being used a lot. A lot of times people think fiat money is fiat money is something that's fake or phony or not backed by anything. Fiat means by decree. So by decree, we say use that money. Before that, hmm. money, money has always been, is always an emergent phenomenon. So money is a medium of exchange. And so we had barter system. And eventually you and I didn't want to barter. I didn't want your chicken. You don't want my goat. And so we used a medium of exchange. If you don't want my goat, would you take this instead? That's a medium of exchange. And eventually enough things become a medium of exchange. And eventually one emerges. And of course, that was gold for 5,000 years. So that's the history. Now, going back to the Federal Reserve, um, they tried to get a central bank going in the United States over and over and over. It kept failing, failing, failing. Uh, the founding fathers were smart. They knew how dangerous the central banks were. Uh, they saw what had happened over in England, and they, they warned us. I mean, there's several uh, teachings, or uh, sorry, sorry, quotes from Thomas Jefferson and, and others warning us of the dangers of central banks. And so they fought it, they fought it, they fought it. Uh, the United States went through this free banking period. So the free banking period was anybody could stand up a bank if they wanted. They'd create their own currency. Uh, but the problem is during this free banking period in the late 1800s, banks were crashing over and over and over. And so mm. people would lose all their money. So uh, we had had a, a national bank, which was like a central bank. It wasn't the Fed, but it was a central bank. Then it got kicked out. We went to the free banking period. Uh, crash, 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 crash. People lost all their money. And finally, um, the central bank, uh, the Federal Reserve was, was instituted in 1913. And they said, hey, we need to do this, of course, for your protection. It's for you. Right. It's for your safety. Right. Uh, what we're going <laughs> right. to do is we're going to backstop all these banks. So now if any bank goes out of business, the people won't lose their money. We'll cover it. How do they do that? Well, we're going to print money and you're going to tell people they have yeah. to use it by decree. Um, and of course, the, the Federal Reserve was created the same year as the IRS. Now, that's, a, mm. that's an interesting phenomenon. Check mm. that out. So. How would, would, when gold's been money for 5,000 years, people didn't trust the banks, the central banks, because, of course, our founding fathers warned us about that so much. So how would they get all the people to use this new fake currency that's worth nothing? How would they get people to use it? Oh, I got a good idea. Let's create something called the IRS. What we'll do is we'll make people work all year going to gather these fake pa pieces of paper yeah. so they can give them back to us at the end of the year. That's a good yeah. idea. That's a plan. And so that, that's, that's the origination of it. That was the reasoning they gave us to backstop the banks. Now, a uh, quick little interlude here. I don't know how much time we have, but they tell you that free banking failed because um, these banks were too dangerous and too wild, and we need a central bank to back them up. 
the reality is, in my opinion, and, and many other historians uh, document this and my, my uh, way that I've connected the dots, but the reality is the reason why the free banking model failed was because of government regulations. We didn't need right. government to come save the banking system. The government was the problem. So a couple, <laughs> so a couple, so a couple of things. So first of all, businesses uh, benefit from economy of scale. Right. And so if I could grow my business, I could have multiple branches. I could have one person doing multiple jobs. Uh, that's, mm. that's a better business. But the but the uh, free banking model, uh, the government prohibited them from having more than one branch, for example. That was a problem. Uh, second problem. Um, the the free bank, they were supposed to hold customer deposits in reserve. Now, of course, the banks do fractional reserve, meaning they have a percentage of those deposits. So they're supposed to hold those deposits as reserves. But the government mandated that the banks buy government and municipal bonds. So instead of holding the dollars, they put them into government and municipal yep. bonds. But when those yep. bonds became worthless, guess what? They didn't have the money. And when the customers found out that they bought bonds and the bonds went worthless, the customers wanted their money and there wasn't enough money to go around, run on bank. It happened over and over and over. And a third reason why is that um, the government made it where since they couldn't have multiple branches, then what happened is that money they gave me was only redeemable at that bank, at that branch. So if I wanted to take my money and travel to another part of the state or another part of the country, right, right, that right. currency I had wasn't accepted. Now, somebody would accept it, but at a sure. massive discount because they'd have to go redeem it. And so um, that, that, that it, was, it was doomed uh, from the government. So anyway, that's my uh, story. Sorry that was a little bit long. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Now Mike has done it again by introducing his My Slippers. For a limited time, you will save $90 on a pair of My Slippers. This blowout sale of the year won't last, so order now. Mike has taken two years to develop the My Slippers, and they are designed to wear both indoor and out all day long. Made with MyPillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, they are also made with quality leather suede. Call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. This offer will not last long, so order now with promo code SITREP at MyPillow.com. That was a good story. Uh, I mean, history is incredible, and it's amazing that there is history, and yet, every time something bad happens in our country, what we cry for is more government regulation. But we don't. It's we don't. Been but, so uh, helpful. Yeah. Well, we don't, but many do. We, that's the collective we, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's amazing. Whatever it is, if something bad happens, well, what we really need is more government regulation because it's worked so well in the past. Sure. Um, when, when the founding fathers, so we're getting to Bitcoin, right? We're getting to cryptocurrency and the reason deregulation is important. But when the founding fathers talked about the dangers of a central bank, what specifically were they envisioning? It's probably different than what we're experiencing, but what were they concerned about when they thought about a central bank? Um, so they knew they knew the dangers because they lived through it, right? So um, I was going to try and pull one up. Let's see, um... I, I think a lot of people would would say, well, it has been working pretty well. It does protect us. The, the things the government told us have happened. Um, but the downside is what we're living through now. So like Thomas Jefferson says... Uh... If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issuance of their currency, first by inflation 
and then deflation. Mm. Sound familiar? Yeah. The banks yeah. and corporations that grow up around these banks would deprive the people of all property until mm. their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. Hmm. Sounds wow. familiar, right? So what happens yeah, wow. is through inflation, then deflation. So what happens is when the, the Federal Reserve, the central bank, creates more money, what happens? Well, you have booms. There's more money. Yeah. Businesses yeah. expand. Uh, yeah. uh, now uh, people are buying more homes. So now these home builders go buy more trucks <laughs> and they hire more right. people and everything booms. Right. But then when they pull the money back out, the opposite happens. It all crashes back down. And then what mm. happens is um, I was that contractor trying to scale my business to meet that demand. But I didn't realize it was a fake demand because sure. they had printed that money. And then they decided to... <laughs> just suck that money out of the economy. I, they didn't ask me about it. They didn't tell me about it. And next thing you know, my business crashes and now I have all this debt for all these new trucks I bought and this new building I bought and all this new equipment I bought and all these employees and now I go bankrupt. And so I lose all my property. So back to the quote here, we'll deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless. So now I lose all my property. I lose my house. I lose my office. And then what does the Fed do? Well, the Fed gives money to Wall Street, who then goes and buys your house and buys yeah, your right. office at pennies right. on the dollar, and then they'll rent it back right. out to you happily. <laughs> um, you talk a lot about uh, economic cycles, and we go back in history and see these cycles take place. Um, can you talk about that for a minute and where you see the United States right now in that, that kind of world yeah. of cycles? Well, so, you know, unfortunately, uh, we have these these cycles, these uh, financial cycles specifically. There's a bunch of different cycles, but uh, we have these 80-year financial revolution cycles. So on about every 80 years, you see the financial system reset. Yeah. Now, part of that is because yeah. of the Federal Reserve. They create these boom and bust cycles. It's the business cycle, um, if you will. And so about every 80 years, you see this. So about 80 years from uh, today was uh, 1944. We had the Bretton Woods Agreement. The entire global financial system was reset. Um, mm. And it was decided that it would be a, it was still a gold-backed system, but that dollar would be backed by gold. The currencies of the world would be backed by the dollar or pegged to the dollar. <laughs> um, and so here we are um, 80 years later, and the IMF is calling for a Bretton Woods II, which, of course, is another global reset of the financial system. And so these business cycles, they run out, and it's, it's, uh, it's through this business expansion. It's really, it's kind of like a four-part four part process. And so you have real money, gold. Um, but then um, in order to get velocity, in order to get the money to move faster, we put that money in the bank and we issue debt. So now I have a paper claim, a, a, paper, a paper certificate. It was an yeah. IOU. I could go re re redeem that for gold. So that debt that we issued against the claim of the gold now speeds it up. There's more velocity. But what happens is over a period of time, uh, people use that paper certificate. So, so often they consider that to be real money. So today, now we're using those yeah. dollars, but they're not backed yeah. by gold anymore. Now we just consider those to be real money. But what happens is eventually people realize that this is actually not worth anything. And actually it's becoming worth less and less and less. It's buying me less goods and services than it used to. And maybe I don't want to hold this anymore, which of course where we're at today, which a lot of people haven't quite figured this out, but that's why, you know, home prices and used car prices and lumber and everything's going up because nobody wants to hold on to the dollars. Um, and eventually um, the confidence is lost. The whole thing has to be reset. and We have to go back to a hard money again. Yeah. One of the, uh, the ways to deal with this, of course, is through cryptocurrency, uh, taking uh, you know, our money away from the control of the government. Um, but it's very, very confusing to normal people, and, and I mean like people like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you talk broadly about what cryptocurrency is, 
why it's good for us, and then we can speak more specifically to things like Bitcoin and, and what people should do with that. Sure. So, um, you know, I've been uh, heavily involved in this space since 2015. Uh, from 2016 to 2019, I wrote a cryptocurrency research newsletter. I personally researched and published over a thousand pages of research on every wow. crypto project yeah. that's out there. Um, yeah. Since 2019, I've just focused on Bitcoin. And so I can make it very simple for you. Uh, we say Bitcoin, not crypto. So crypto is very confusing mm. because it's just a bunch of uh, intentionally confusing things to intentionally confuse you and obfuscate what's going on. So you just jump in with your eyes closed and you gamble and you lose a bunch of money. Uh, Bitcoin, not crypto. So we'll make it really simple. Back to the free banking era. Uh, we had all these banks and uh, the bank could decide like, hey, uh, you know, um, we're going to give you 5% interest, but we're going to keep 80% cash on reserves and we're only going to loan 20% out to super blue chip, you know, uh, yeah. companies. Uh, someone else says, hey, I'll give you 15% interest, but I'm only keeping 30% on reserve. And I'm going to do a bunch of risky investments, right? And I could choose. Now, competition always creates better products, better service, and better pricing. That's why I said money is emergent. Uh, the medium of exchange emerged over time, whatever people thought was the best medium of exchange. Now, in order for something to be a good form of money, a good medium of exchange, it must have a bunch of different attributes, five really that I like to think about, portable, divisible, durable, fungible, and saleable, recognizable. So um, a banana doesn't make, make good money because it, it goes bad. A cow doesn't make yeah. good money because it's not divisible. Um, gold fits all of those. It's durable. It's fungible. It's recognizable. So it has to be saleable. I, I'm not, enough people have to want it. Uh, but the problem with gold is it's not portable. And that's why it had to go into the bank. If I want to pay you right now, we're uh, over Zoom or we're on Riverside or whatever. But um, if I want to pay you in gold, how would I do that? Like I can't right. do that. Right. So it's not right. portable. And that's why I went into the banks. And then that was the, that was the failure of gold. It, it created centralization and then centralization always leads to manipulation. And so, um, what, what we've seen is that over the last 80 years, the federal reserve prints money, creates a boom, sucks the money out, creates a bust, boom, bust, boom, bust, boom, bust. And the booms and busts only get bigger and bigger. Now, um, I said in 1944, they went into this Bretton Woods agreement, 1971, Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. So for the last 50 years, so for 5,000 years of history, gold has been <laughs> right. money. Right. For the last 50 years, we've been in this right. experiment where we right. don't have sound money. We just have as much paper as the government wants to print. It's not even paper anymore. Now right. I just push a button on a keyboard. So we're in this experiment for 50 years, but it's gone horribly wrong. So these booms and busts have gotten so extreme. They've gotten so bad, so exaggerated. Uh, we've created... Uh, you know, depends on how you want to look at uh, $400 trillion, 400 trillion, 400, we, we throw these numbers around, we don't even know what they mean anymore. A million, a billion, a trillion. Yeah. Uh, a million seconds is like uh, 12 days. A billion seconds is like uh, 12 years. And a trillion seconds is like 32,000 years. Wow. <laughs> so we've created yeah. like $300 trillion worth of debt in the last 50 years. And it's created massive distortions. It's, it's why society is breaking down. We could spend a lot of time talking about all the problems that this money creation yeah. has created. But basically, when you see school shootings, like what's just happened, when you see uh, planes not running on time, when you see supply chains breaking down, when you see uh, brownouts and blackouts happening, yeah. uh, when you see us running out of water and food, it's all because of the money. And we could talk all about that. But anyway, back to Bitcoin. So um, a new form of money was created. Now, I talked about uh, sound money or you hear about hard money. When we typically talk about right. hard money, it's money that can't be created 
from thin air, like gold. Now we can go dig more gold up, but you know, it has about a one and a half percent inflation rate. So it gets, comes out of the ground pretty slowly. Um, and so hard money is something they can't create. Like the fed clicks a button on the keyboard and prints more. And so Bitcoin is a, uh, okay. So Bitcoin is a, let me back it up a little bit. Um, talking about cycles. So on a, every, about every 80 years, there's a financial revolution cycle. I said there's many cycles. On a 50-year time frame, there's a technological revolution cycle. Now, what does that mean? Uh, not new technologies. The iPhone is a new technology. That's cool. A technological revolution is something that changes the course of humanity and mm. builds all financial markets. There's been five. Late, late 1700s, industrial revolution. About every 50 years, we had steam engines and railways. We had steel and electricity. We had oil, automobiles, mass production. And then we had 1971, the age of the microprocessor, which brought us tele right. telecommunications, right. personal right. computers, internet, and brought us this. This is the sure. computer and a phone together, right? Yeah. Um, but notice each one of those changed the course of humanity. For all of humanity, people walked and rode mm -hmm. horses, and now we had cars. That was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, so it changed the course of humanity, and it drives financial markets. So what's dominated the markets for the last 40, 50 years? Telecom, internet. What dominated before that? GM, GE. What was the markets before that? Steel, oil, right? Um, and so we're witnessing another technological revolution. That's what Bitcoin is. Now, what happens is as humans, um, we try to understand it. Mark, explain Bitcoin to me like I'm five years old yeah. in two minutes. Yeah. Well, I can't yeah. really do that. <laughs> um, but what we try to do is we try to um, compare it to something we know. It's kind of like uh, digital gold. Okay, it is that. It's sort of like a digital cash. Okay, it's like that too. Um, when electricity was invented, I would imagine if we were around back in that time, we'd go, what, what was the first application of electricity? What was the first app? Like right. A light bulb. It was a light bulb. So if you and I were going, what is this electricity? Well, it's sort of like this digital candle. Well, that's stupid because candles have been light for 5,000 years. And look, the candle's portable. I can carry it around. I don't need all these stupid wires. What do I need that for? Well, it was a digital candle at that time. But of course, electricity has gone on to be so much more. When the internet first came out, what is this internet thing? Well, it's a way we can send these electronic messages and have these like digital message boards. Well, it was that, right? It was, but it's been become so much more. So when we talk about Bitcoin, what is it today? Well, it's sort of like digital gold, sort of like digital cash, sort of like a new form of money. Um, it is all those things. But it's going to be so much more in the future, and we can talk about that if you want. But I'll, t I'll, t I'll take a break there. So I think I think one of the difficult things to understand is the digital part, right? Not the gold part, not the cash part, but the digital part. Okay. Um, with the downturn in the markets, with the downturn in the price of uh, even Bitcoin, uh, some pretty well-known stock market investors have used that as an excuse or a reason to say, "See, we've been telling you forever." not to invest in Bitcoin, not to invest in cryptocurrency. It's digital. There's nothing backing it. There's nothing hard that you can go back to. Um, yeah. it, it may be transportable, but it's only divisible because it's not real. Uh, how do you respond to, to you know, Warren Buffett and the other, you know, People yeah. who obviously have a stake in this game and sure. don't want people to invest in crypto. Well, first of all, Warren Buffett's critique, I think you have to understand who Warren Buffett is. So um, Warren Buffett says he doesn't like um, Bitcoin. He doesn't like gold either. Why doesn't he like gold? He doesn't like gold because gold doesn't create anything. So Warren Buffett mm. likes to buy capital-efficient businesses. He likes to buy Hershey. He likes to buy Seas Candy. Yeah, right, he likes to right. buy Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola, uh, capital-efficient businesses have a, a brand name 
with a massive moat. Coca-Cola only sells syrup. That's it. They don't change the formula. There's no R&D. They have the brand. The syrup goes to the distributors who then have to make the soda. And so he likes mm. businesses like that. So he says gold never made anything, and it doesn't. It's true. Neither does Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't make anything here. So, so Warren Buffett likes businesses that make things right. that are capital efficient. And so you have to understand where he's coming from. But back to some of these other questions. So first of all, it's not backed by anything. Let's talk about that for just a second, because since I've given you this history. So what yeah. does that even mean? Right. So first of all, it right. shows that you probably don't have any understanding of what money is or how the financial system works. So anybody that comes at, comes at you with that doesn't even understand the basics. And it's hard to understand because most people don't understand what money is or how the finance. Sure. So they, don't yeah. even have the, they don't even have a basic understanding. So anybody that would ask that question doesn't understand this. So let me, let me explain what that means. The dollar was backed by gold. What was gold backed by? The answer is nothing. Right? Nothing. So gold was money. Gold was money. Money went into the bank. Because gold was big, heavy, clunky, it didn't have velocity, they would issue me a paper gold certificate that you and I could transfer very quickly. Now, it was backed by the gold that was in the bank. So if I gave that paper gold certificate, you could go redeem that paper for the gold it was backed by. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Gold's not backed by anything. Yeah. Right? Oil, what's oil backed by? It's not backed by anything. Only the debt. So dollar, a dollar was debt, and that debt has to be backed by something, right? So what is Bitcoin backed by? Bitcoin's backed by the same thing that gold is backed by. Nothing. It's money. So um, now, now people say, well, it has no intrinsic value. This is the Peter Schiff sure. argument, right? Sure. Well, it has no intrinsic value. At least um, gold has intrinsic value. My answer to that is an, the Austrian School of Economics would say that there is no such thing as intrinsic value, period. All value is relative. So let me give you an example of that. Um, if you and I were on a deserted island, stranded, with no boat, no food, no phone, no nothing, and yep. I had a billion dollars of cash, a billion dollars of gold, and a billion dollars of Bitcoin, none right. of that is worth anything. But that right. gold's intrinsic. Intrinsic for what? It's worth nothing. <laughs> now, last night I went out to dinner. Um, at the end of dinner, we had some leftovers, and those got thrown away. That food was worth nothing to me. Zero. But if I was on that deserted island with a billion dollars of cash and gold, right. sure. I would give all all of that for those leftovers. Sure. So all value is always relative. It's not, it's not intrinsic. And so um, gold has value because we say it has value. That's why. And Bitcoin has value because we say it has value. The right. fiat currency has value, fiat, by decree, because the go yep. government tells yep. you it does. What risks are involved uh, in... I'll say I want one more thing, too. You said digital. So this is, this is a funny one to me that people would say this. Like, I only trust things I can hold in my hand, real things, right? Well, um, over 80% of all monetary transactions are done digitally today. Uh, sure. I, I mean, maybe I'm a little younger than some of those people saying that, but, like, I don't even carry <laughs> cash around anymore. Like, right. I mean, I, everything's debit cards, credit cards, wire transfers. Like, who carries cash, right? Like, uh, so um, for them to say that, I think that's a little bit ridiculous. And I get it, right? Like, uh, you know, some people still want to play their vinyl LPs, and people are streaming music today. I get that. But to say that something digital has no value um, doesn't really make any sense to me. The other thing I would say is that all value, as I made the case, all value is subjective, right? So, like, one man's trash is another man's treasure. So when you live in America and you use the dollar, which is pretty stable, 
and you can walk five minutes from your house and get an ATM and, or use your debit card or wherever, maybe you don't need Bitcoin that much. But if you're in Africa using the SIFA franc or you're in Palestine where the government's stealing your money or you're in North Korea where they check your house once a month for you hiding money, right. and now right. you have an opportunity to store your wealth in a way that they can't seize, confiscate, manipulate, and it could get you out of that country with your life savings intact, it's worth a lot. It's yeah. worth a lot. Yeah, the digital argument, it, it is a funny argument, of course. Um, and uh, I have friends who are missionaries in, in uh, North Africa, and crypto is a big deal there. It's really given people independence they haven't had in, in the past yeah. now, um, let's, because let's, it's digital. Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about the, uh, the risk now. So a couple things I'd say about the risk. So uh, first of all, um, as I said, like Bitcoin is a technological revolution. And so... Um, any new technology, but especially the technological revolution, you have to look at it from a bunch of different angles and standpoints. And so if you and I were in Silicon Valley a decade ago, and I was going to pitch you on this new idea, uh, you're a VC, and I'm going to pitch you on this new idea, and I say, hey, I have this great idea. You're like, okay, what is it? Well, it's this app, and uh, uh, you're going to be able to pull it out in your pocket, and you're going get to get a car, and it's going to come pick you up yeah. and, and do whatever, right? And you're like, right. well, that sounds kind of stupid. I mean, can I just get a taxi? Well, yeah, but this is going to be better. It's going to be more convenient. And you're like, okay, well, how much is it worth? It's worth $100 million. You're like, what? That's ridiculous. I can get a limo. I can get a cab. That, that's stupid. Well, where did you come up with $100 million? Oh, well, let me explain, right? Taxi industry is this big. If I get 5% of that, limo industry is this big. Van share registers is this big. If I get 5% of each of those, it's $100 million, right? So with a new technology, you're trying to look at something like that. So what markets is it disrupting? How big are those markets? And if I get 1%, 5%, 10%, how much would it be worth, right? So um, Bitcoin is like digital gold. That's what people say. Um, JP Morgan and Citibank have both put out guidance saying that they believe Bitcoin will overtake gold. Okay, well, that's $12 trillion or about, I don't know, maybe $11 trillion today. So uh, Bitcoin's at about half a billion today. So that's a 22x from here, just from overtaking gold. Uh, right. Okay, what else? Well, it's sort of like a Swiss, they say it's a Swiss bank account in your pocket. So Swiss bank accounts or offshore banks have been used, uh, they, they are used by all the rich people to put their money in ways that it can be safeguarded. However, yep. it's not working out so well for the Russian oligarchs. Uh, they're, getting their, <laughs> they're getting their Swiss bank account seized left and right. right. And so right. Bitcoin is a better Swiss bank account. Now, there's about 30 to 40 trillion parked in offshore bank accounts. And it's better than that. Could it take 10% of that? Oh, there's another 4 trillion. There's another 8x from there. Uh, okay, what about uh, the bond market? There's about $18 trillion worth of negative yielding bonds. Wow, paying less than zero. Could it take up mm. 5 or 10% of that? Okay, there's another 2, two 4 trillion there. Uh, mm. What about all the money that people put into stocks or put into real estate because there was nowhere else to put it, but they could yeah. just put it into Bitcoin? So like all of a sudden, if we, if we did the math, we're at like 300 trillion. So Bitcoin has a 300 times upside. Mm. And could it go to zero? Okay, so it has a 1x downside with a 300x upside. Hmm, that's pretty good odds. I'll take those all day. So, uh, and, and let's talk about a couple other things just real quick. So, um, as we've seen now, Bitcoin is somewhat correlated with the NASDAQ right now. It's kind of being traded like a, like a tech stock and it's yep. good and bad. It's good. It's good because what's the reason why it's doing that is, um, it's been really adopted by a lot of these big tech funds and, and wall street, et cetera. And so that's why it's trading like that. So one, it shows that there's, uh, some real use case adoption interest there. Yeah. Um, however, if you look at the NASDAQ, um, over half the stocks in the NASDAQ are down by more than 50%. And just this year to date, so we're about, we're just the sixth, uh, first day of the sixth month here. Uh, yeah. Year to date, um, Bitcoin has held up better than Facebook, Netflix, uh, 
I, I put it on my Twitter the other day. Um, but basically, all the Fang stocks. I think Apple. Mm -hmm. I think I think Google is only down like thirty percent. So Bitcoin's almost about on par with Google. But it's done better than all the Fang stocks year to date. Now, even then, with its decline, yeah. Yeah, even well, I'm just saying year to, year to date. Now, yeah. if you want to look at the peak, so most tech stocks and Bitcoin peaked around November of 2021. So, if you want to go back to the peak, let's go back to there. Um, it's outperformed Shopify. It's outperformed yeah. Square. It's outperformed. I mean, those have gone down 80 percent. So, um, you know, is it volatile? Sure. Um, is it dangerous? Sure. You could lose your money. Um, but it's held up better than yeah. all the tech stocks. So uh, from that perspective, it's, it's looking pretty good. I think people just need to get the right perspective. Now, now crypto, that's another, that's another story, right? So most of the cryptocurrencies, including the blue chip, what, I would, what people call that, which is kind of ridiculous, but let's say top 10, the top 10 cryptocurrencies, um, they're down 80%. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Because of the down of 80% of the cryptos, um, some of the drawback on Bitcoin, a lot of people are saying, we're just going to wait this out. It's going away. It's a fad. Something new will come along. Uh, can Bitcoin, and we won't say crypto, but can Bitcoin be stopped now or is it you need to adopt it because it's here to stay? Yeah, so what I would say is that um, the reason why we say Bitcoin, not crypto, and, and, and I go back to this 50-year innovation cycle, this technological revolution cycle. Yeah. So the revolution is decentralization. That's the revolution. Right. Right. And uh, the world, right. uh, there's another cycle, a 250-year revolution cycle. So on a 250-year cycle, like a pendulum, the world goes to centralization, globalization, peaks out, and then swings back to decentralization. Mm. And that's maxing out right here. 250 years ago was the American French Revolution, American Revolution pushing back on the centralization of the monarchy to go to a decentralized government. The, the United States right. was set up as a republic, right? A, a decentralized right. government. 250 years before that was the Protestant Reformation pushing back on the centralization of the mm. church and state. Um, and so that's where we're at today. And so it's interesting is, right, and of course you can see it's peak centralization, World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, Trade Organization, I, you know, yep. IMF, UN, et cetera. And so right yep. as the world's pushing back on peak centralization, we have a technological revolution that gives us what? Yeah. Oh, decentralized technology. So that's, right. that's the revolution. Now let's talk about that for a second. So what does that even mean? Well, Facebook, Experian, whatever, those are centralized databases. So Experian runs a database um, and their servers hold their database. That's one database centralized. Right. Decentralization is, is the opposite. Instead of one database, there's thousands of databases, right? And because there's thousands of databases, nobody controls the one database. Instead, um, all these databases are, are equal and they have to achieve consensus. More than half of the network has to agree. Now, why Bitcoin, not crypto? So Bitcoin 
Um, mm. In 2017, there was something called The Block Size Wars. Any of your listeners that are interested, there's a book written called The, the Block Size Wars. Interesting uh, book and story. Uh, and it gives you an understanding of what the difference of Bitcoin and crypto is. And so what happened is they said in 2017, Bitcoin's too slow. Um, we need to increase the block sizes. We need to get, uh, we need to change the network to be bigger databases so we can get more throughput so it can be faster. And we said, no, 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 because there's something called this trilemma. So a dilemma is getting more of one gives you less of another. A trilemma is getting more of one, you get less of the other, kind of the same thing. And Vitalik Buterin from Ethereum actually drew out this uh, trilemma. And so you have at the top, you have decentralization. You have speed and you have security. So mm. to get more of one, you have to give it more of another. So they wanted mm. to get more speed and sacrifice decentralization. Right. Right. And we said, no, 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 no. Decentralization is the revolution. <laughs> That's and the so, revolution. And yeah. so because of that, the block sizes stayed small. And so the Bitcoin database is very small. You can run an, anyone with like a five-year-old laptop can download the, the, a complete uh node a complete bitcoin database it's about 300 gigabytes and you can run a node if you're in a third world country you can run a bitcoin node everybody can do it everybody should do it and that's what keeps it decentralized but you can't run a node for ethereum or cardano right. or xyz right. fill in the blank and so right. i mean you can do it if you have a commercial grade server in a commercial grade co-location facility, which of course you don't, neither do I. And so there's only a handful of those. And what does that lead to? Oh yeah, centralization. Centralization. Yeah. yeah. Centralization. Cr crazy. Um, are you encouraged, under, with your understanding of Bitcoin, are you encouraged as you look at the world's falling apart around you? I know it's a strange question, but there's so much chaos in our world right now and there's so much to feel bad about. Does this give you uh, a sense of peace in the midst of this, or is it we still need to navigate through it somehow? Well, um, yes and no. So um, it gives me hope because we finally have a tool that can fix things. And so mm. um, as I kind of started saying earlier, like everything from school shootings to planes not running on time yep. to uh, everything uh, comes down to the distortion of the money. And so... Um, in order to fix it, we have to fix the money. Fix the money, yep. fix the world, right? Yep. Now, um, we can get into a spiritual debate, you know, and there's there's all that as well. But, you know, from what we're talking about from the economic side, um, you know, fix the money, fix the world, right? Fix the incentive problem. So we have something that we can fix things with. Yeah. So that gives me hope because we, we have something yeah. now, right? Yeah. Um, I believe that um, it wins. Uh one of my favorite authors, F.A. Hayek, he was one of the Austrian school economists. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in economics in 1974, I believe. Um, in 1980, about 1980, he, he said, um, there shall never be another sound money again. Sound money being something the government can't distort. Never be a sound money again until the thing is taken from the hands of the government. But it can't be taken by force but rather in a sly roundabout way, introducing something that can't be stopped. They said that in 1980, but it sounds like he was yeah. talking about Bitcoin. And so yeah. what's happened is now Bitcoin has, has, was given this basically decade where nobody really understood it or paid any attention. The governments didn't really seem to care. And now it's too late. It, we introduced something that can't be stopped. So now it's at a point where it can't yeah. be stopped. And so um, that's what gives me hope. I believe that uh, through competition, uh, we see that it's a better way to uh, transmit, store and transmit value. Um, it's a better way to store our value. It's a better way to transmit our value in a way that can't be distorted on, on a bunch of different reasons. Um, and so that gives me hope. Now, 
Um, that doesn't mean that we can go to sleep like Rip Van Winkle for a decade right, and wake up and everything's going to be okay. I still believe we have a very tough road in front of us, and we're going to have to fight tooth and nail for every single thing. But we have the tool to do it. So um, we have the tool to do it. Um, and if we do the work, if we're diligent, um, then we win. Mark, this has been fantastic. Uh, you speak on this all the time. I think you record just about every day or put out a video almost every day, if not every day. Uh, tell people where they can follow you. Um, definitely highly recommend your YouTube channel, but other places you talk about this as well. Yeah, definitely. So um, I do. I uh, put out a couple YouTube videos a week. Just search Mark Moss. Um, if you go to my website, One Mark Moss, it's the number one Mark Moss. It's links to everything. But you got my YouTube channel. Um, I do. Uh, I have a podcast, so you can search like Mark Moss Podcast. Um, and I have a radio show on the iHeart Radio Network, so you can search Mark Moss yeah. Radio. Uh, you can find all of that, or like I said, just go to my website. Um, so that's probably the best way to keep up with me. I'm pretty active, probably too active on my Twitter account, which is, again, <laughs> at one Mark Moss. Um, right. So feel free to reach out, ask me some questions there. And again, it's linked on my website as well. Um, so that's probably the best way to stay in touch. Awesome. Mark Moss, thank you so much once again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate Mark coming back on with us. Please go and check out his YouTube channel. So many wonderful resources there. Um, other places that he's written, of course, and he mentioned all of these, but you need to follow Mark. Uh, he does talk a lot about digital currencies, but he talks about the economy more uh, globally as well. Various <laughs> ways to look at the economy, how we can understand the economy, and uh, we need to have a grasp on that. It impacts everything we do. So please check out Mark's channel and Mark's other resources and appreciate you joining this show and this conversation. If you're not yet subscribed to the Situation Report, you need to be. You're listening somewhere. Go ahead right now. Subscribe to the show. That would be fantastic. And then take some time. Go over to YouTube. Search for the Situation Report. You'll find our channel there. Do two things. One, subscribe. That's important. Two, hit the notification bell. That lets you know when these episodes come online. We put out content at least three times a week. Uh, it's a lot of content. We do our best to have content that will be a benefit to you. So please follow along. The best way to do that is to be subscribed to the channel. And that would be fantastic. Again, thank you for joining us. We will talk to you next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.